I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Kevin Byrne and I'm joined today by co-host Eric Donovan for a chat with former British and European light welterweight champion Paul McCluskey. A slick southpaw who packed a serious punch, we focus on Duty's campaign between 2010 and 2011 today. In that time, he defended his EBU belt at the King's Hall, managed to turn his neighbour and friend Joe Brawley into an anti-boxing advocate, fought Amir Khan for the world title in Manchester and then headlined the Odyssey Arena against Brightest Prescott in the hardest fight of his life. But first, the lads are going to discuss their amateur days fighting for Ireland, dreaming of the Olympic Games. So, Paul, how long do you know Eric? Uh, I think it was, let me guess, roughly around 2002. Uh, we started high performance unit uh, back in the amateur days uh, when Gary Keegan was uh, the brains behind the high performance unit back then. Uh, there was Eric... Myself, Andy Lee, there was a whole squad of boys then, uh, some squad of fighters at that stage. So, Yeah, I remember that very well. I think we went to the probably one of the last Four Nations Senior Championships, wasn't it? And was it in Cardiff in Wales, I think? Um, yes, yes, I actually didn't fight in that. Oh, did you not? Were you not on that team? No. I actually, you know what? I'm telling lies. I didn't fight in that. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're right, you're right. Yeah, sorry. I thought you were talking about another tournament there actually, but yeah, yeah. Four nations, yeah, yeah. I think the I think that was probably one of the last four nation tournaments out there. Like it's it was a brilliant tournament. Like the best in England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales putting it up against yeah. each other every year. I I just thought it was a fantastic tournament. I can't see why they've yeah. done away with that tournament now. Yeah, they they have and flow sometimes. Sometimes tournaments come on they've been there for a while and then for some reason they just kinda of disappear. So I'm not sure myself, but again, yeah. Paul, when you when you were starting out as an amateur young guy, um, the top light welterweight in Ireland was Francie Barris, really high profile boxer. Yes. We knew we knew him from the Olympics. I was a massive fan of Francie Barrett as a kid. I suppose I was ten years old, eleven years old, in those Olympics took place. And uh, you had a you had a bit of a saga with him. You know, I think won a few, lost a few. I'm not I'm not too sure of the overall head to head record. But what do you recall of those fights? And ultimately. Neither of you ended up going to the 2000 Olympics either. No, Francie beat me in this. Well, he got the result in the semi-final. I still maintain I won that fight. It was, uh, I think, it was 16-15. There was a point on it. 
I was convinced I won the fight clearly. Uh, didn't get it. That's boxing. It happens with everybody. I'm sure Eric can understand what I'm talking about. So that was the that was the end of my journey that year. So uh, I think Francie didn't. Francie could beat himself. I think in the final, if I'm not mistaken. So I fought him the sake. I fought him the following year in the semi final, and I ended up uh, getting the right result. Uh, won by ten points that time. So, but I still lost my 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 next my final basically. So, but now me and Francie had a few. A few hunting things together, like uh, he was a hard wee man. Uh, I obviously knew him from the, from uh, from the Olympics, and I knew what kind of what kind of heart he had. He, he was a southpaw too, but again, he wasn't a slick southpaw, but he was a he was a tough. He was slick enough, but he was just tough and rugged as well, you know. And he had a big heart. So now I enjoyed my fights with Bart Francie, and uh, he was a, he was a nice fella. And um, Eric, what were your impressions? Young guy coming in, was Paul someone that you would have looked up to? I remember the nights, the stadium final nights when McCluskey beat Michael Kelly and these, they were just kind of idols. You, you know, you put them up there on a pedestal. You were, you was, you aspired to be like them. And then it was kind of a bit crazy when I was standing and training on a regular basis with the lads on the high performance team and Gary Keegan. I know Paul mentioned Gary Keegan there. He was a very clever man, a very a brilliant man, and and. Just he brought this whole new level of professionalism to to the Irish boxing scene, and he he was the one that that told us you're not just pro- boxers now, you're professional athletes, and we kind of felt like we were as well with the conditions that were created and the facilities that we were given and the resources that we were given. Um, Paul, did you feel that the resources that were given to the team were just a little bit late for you? Because you, you turned pro after in around 04 alongside, I think the three Highlands went professional around the same time, Big Martin Rogan and Stephen Hockeyan as well. And maybe it was maybe it's just the right time of your career and the right time of your life to go professional. But we could see then in later years the rewards that came to the amateurs and some lads just stayed in it for life effectively and won a host of medals, went to Olympics and stuff. I wish the high performance had come in from probably 98 or so, I mean, four years previous after roughly, which would have probably uh, benefited me better. Uh, but that stage, I probably would have been an Olympian and hopefully a, a medalist at that stage. So seeing Gary and what he... and his, Gary had a vision. Uh, that's, for me, that's Gary has... Uh, he's resurrected Irish boxing and in a way you know, he he's the cornerstone behind all this happening now. He, was, he, he had the vision of bringing the, the likes of Zorantia over here uh, and bringing these guys on to do so much different new techniques with, with all well actually I'm saying new techniques just new techniques that we've seen but Zora come from Georgia the old uh, one of the Russian Russian state countries and uh, them guys were amazing guys. but what they what they done and what they achieved themselves was unreal yeah uh, Eric, uh, like me, were you an interested observer of Paul's early fights on, as a professional on the television, or were you someone? Did you go along and watch Eric, or how did you? Oh yeah, I've been a big fan of Paul's all the way through, and we used to have good little chats as well. Like even in people may not remember this, the the, the modern boxer wouldn't remember the the um, the Inishon B and B the B and B just down the bottom of the road. We used to stay in this B and B, but. That's where the high performance team stayed. Actually, we lived up and stair- We lived upstairs in the gym as well, yeah. <laughs> on mattresses on the floor and stuff. So people wouldn't, <laughs> people wouldn't remember that, but that's that's yeah. literally the luxury of it all at that time. And um, it was like the very early stages. And I would have had chats with Paul and I'd be chatting to him about his dreams and his aspirations. I know he really wanted to make the Olympic Games and. 
would have looked up to me, would have been good advice and all as well. And I do remember when he turned professional in 2005, he was one of the guys that the, the high performance really wanted to hold on to. Like Gary Keegan was so upset when Paul went. I never, like I remember when Paul actually decided, I think they might have offered you something, Paul. I think they might have offered you maybe an extra bit of funding or an educational they, package or something. But you They were very interested. Hmm. So I go, 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 Eric. Yeah, no, I just thought you knocked it back, and, and I know they were very upset. Tell us about that. Well, the big, I'll tell you, was the biggest uh, change in my life at that stage was uh, my, my eldest son was born, was, well, Emma was due, due with him at that stage. So it was a case I was uh, prepared to hang about for another four years to try and make the Olympics, and you no, know, basically living, out, living from Dublin, basically, while being a father, and it just, you know, and I, I was just, I was 23, coming 24 at that stage, and I wasn't, I was just... Uh, it, it wasn't going to happen for me. I just I, I was either that year or nothing for me because my my son was coming into the world basically. So ideally, I would have been ideally I would have been was hanging about for another four years to the Olympics. But as life goes that way, you have to you know you follow your heart. And my, my yeah. son was born basically. Uh, I think well I know John Breen was looking me to go pro for a few years before that as well, and we had been in touch a good few times. So just things happen at the right or well the right time or sometimes the wrong time in a certain situations but for me that was the right time for me to move on but I, I love I love the, the high performance I love the vision that Gary had I love the, the setup I love the passion and the, the, with the likes of Bully and Zor was amazing you know so uh, amateur boxing will always be my first love uh, even though I had a good professional career but for me amateur boxing was being honest with you, I was never as a young boy growing up Professional boxing was never, did you ever, I know it might sound a bit mm. petty now, but you hear guys saying now, oh, I want to be a world champion when I'm a child. For me, all I wanted to be was an Olympian for Ireland. I just wanted to represent Ireland at the Olympics and, and, and yeah. won a medal, obviously. That, that was my dream. Professional boxing was never really a dream of mine at that stage. It was me, it was just amateur boxing because it was just my life at that time, you know. So the way it worked out, that's just the way it panned out, you know. So no, I'm happy, I'm happy with the way I had to push on at that stage, you know. So I was glad enough. I actually remember now, um, the, the the moment that you you, you kind of uh, stepped away from the team because I think and it was you, now you bring it back to me it was the decision for it was the birth of your son and um, I remember we all signed the card uh, Gary yep. Keegan was going around the gym with a card and we all signed the card for you and your your, your wife and your son and uh, wishing you well um, I, I have no doubt in my mind if you had to stay on for them four years but I understand your decision absolutely yeah. You know, you have yeah. to make a decision based on, you know, family yeah. first, I say. Family first, yeah. you know. Well. I have no doubt in my mind. And you went on to have a fantastic professional career, but I definitely yeah. think that if you had to stay on that team to Beijing, you were definitely going to be in a Beijing Olympian and possibly medalist. Yeah. Well, I felt I had the talent to do that, but, I, like, you know, but sometimes circumstances happen and, you know, even, even nothing to do with uh, life in general. You could be injured or, you know, things do happen, so that's the way it goes sometimes. So, no, I was... I've no regrets, really, in that sense. Well, speaking of the way things go, it is by 2008 that you really hit your peak as a boxer. Um, you get the fight with Nigel Rice, uh, beat him beat him mercilessly, but you take a points decision. And then it's uh, a vacant British uh, British title shot, 2008 against Colin Lyons, stoppage win. Dean Harrison, early stoppage win. Uh EBU title, Daniel Rosilla, ninth round KO, and then Giuseppe Laurie, eleventh uh, round KO. So it's dr it's drama. These fights are on television, and all of a sudden, you've had this style which 
was a kind of languid, skillful style, patient. And all of a sudden, now that this style is delivering knockouts, because people are getting, opponents are coming to Ireland and getting hit with shots that they don't see coming. Yeah. And you're leaving them on the floor. I think Joe Brawley once described uh, Larry <laughs> as sitting on the ground like a tasered cow. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's a character, hey? <laughs> but you, yeah, you, yeah. Ran, you ran that, that reign of terror that you put up, uh, ran Joe out of boxing because he was, he boxed along, he boxed in the St. Canis's Club in Derry. As a, as a child as well I think yep. and then he, he's written an article since calling for the ban of uh, competitive combat sports such as boxing and MMA and he, he wrote specifically about your fight with Giuseppe Lowry being the end of it for him I'll read out the passage he says the end of it for me was the night Paul fought Giuseppe Lowry to defend his title at the King's Hall Boxrec described it afterwards as an all out war by the tent they were in the boiler room and the crowd was going insane I thought I might vomit Halfway through the 11th, Paul threw a murderous right, which seemed to go straight through Larry's head. He was unconscious as his head bounced off the canvas. And as he lay there, eyes dead and body twitching, as if he were having a fit, the girls in the row beside me celebrated hysterically. So... <laughs> it was with a description of a, of a victory there, so yes, but uh, yeah, no, well, that made, that was the, that's the first time in my life that I've knocked somebody out and not feel bad about it. And there's a story behind this. Personally... <laughs> uh, I, uh, the way into that fight was uh, Larry landed in the uh, uh, Aldergrove Airport in Antrim, and we had to have a way in at, at, the, at the airport basically. So uh, we had the way in. Obviously, when, you, when you're making weight, you're getting a tight. You're 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 hungry. You're thirsty. You're not in good form. And as we as we had the way in, then the, the cameras were the, the sky cameras were there. So the cameras are there. So me and him do your face off, and he goes right into my face, and he just. No, he took me by surprise. I was expecting just a handshake and a, and a see you tomorrow night. But he was on my face. He was ready for war, and he and he, he threw me, he threw me, he threw me off basically. So I think that was the reason why for that fight there that I had a bit of a war for some for two for two two and a half rounds. I boxed the lugs off him, and then for some reason I don't know why. I think subconsciously now I decided to just have a war. I wanted to really knock him out, and uh, and he ended up a tougher fight than it should have been because I I went against my all my ethics of boxing. For me, boxing is about hitting and not being hit. It's about skills. It's about movement. And for some reason, I just stood there and had a war with them, you know. And even at the time of the knockout, uh, we were kind of tangled up. And then the referee says break, and, and, he, and he keeps, he keeps, you know, he throws a three or four hooks. And then you know, the referee kind of, I get annoyed, and the referee says break. And as the referee says break, he was still talking to the referee. And then the referee said box, and I just knocked him out. And, and technically, technically, it was spot on, but deep down, it was a dirty shot. But I, 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 seen, I seen the opportunity, and I took it, you know, because... I was so angry and so pissed off, and what he done the day before at the, at the airport just made me really annoyed. So it's just here, I'm going for the kill, you know. Eric, do you remember that? I vaguely, like vaguely remember it. Um, I remember more. I remember more of his latter fights. Uh, I remember, I remember watching a couple of his um, his early fights when he was just dismantling guys in the earlier, and then I, I kind of around midways of his career. I lost, I don't know, maybe it was the travelling I was doing with the Irish team, travelling around, because yeah. sometimes we, as an amateur boxer, you're almost on circuit, you're on tour, you're on, t- <laughs> it's a bit like a boy band, you're touring around Europe. <laughs> the only difference is you're getting the head boxed off yourself in all these different places, <laughs> Germany, Ukraine, Russia, and you're coming yeah. home with your tail between your legs, and you've kind of, you've nothing to show for it either, and you're like, oh God, I've just knocked a few years off my life. But anyway, um, 
<laughs> but then, then it, I, I looked at, uh, well, I caught back up with Paul's, the latter part of his career then, and um, some brilliant fights for the likes of uh, American, you know, the Prescott fight was just a fight that, like, I, I'll never forget it, you know what I mean? You had to dig down to the soles of your, of, of your yeah, shoes. that was the toughest fight of my life. Yeah, and sometimes in, sometimes in boxing, especially professional boxing, not sometimes, all the time, your skill will only get you so far. There's professional boxing is about guts, grit, character, resilience, just on a completely different level. You can you can be the best boxer in the world getting into the ring against the most average boxer in the world, and he could actually do a number on you. The average boxer. Yeah. That's what pro yeah. boxing is like. Yes, yeah, it's, t- it's a tough, tough game. Yeah. I see. You could be the best boxer in the world, but if you're not ready for war, sometimes you have to. You know, it's it's a hard one to pack, pack out. Paul, I remember visiting you in I think about March 2011 up in Breen's gym. I, yeah. I remember. I remember for a couple of reasons. I uh, up, up in the sweat box. You up in the sweat box. I think I lost half, <laughs> half a stone that day. Jesus, and Andy Murray, just watching you and Andy Murray skipping that day was enough for me to lose half a stone. I walked out of the gym so confused. I left my new jacket behind, and then I drove. <laughs> I drove the wrong way down the M1, so or I didn't take the turn off for Dublin. I ended up halfway to Craig oh. Avon. Holy and God, uh, yes. uh, so I think I think there was a Champions League match that night, and I missed half of it. Ah. But I remember the Irish boxing community were quite confident of you going in against Amir Khan. Uh, world boxing probably not so much because Khan had beaten Maidana. You know he was a he yeah. was a huge favourite yeah. and a superstar in the making. Golden Boy, Freddie Roach, the lot. But you were really confident, and you didn't really compromise on your style either. You went in with a game plan, and. I suppose you ex- you expected it would deliver. What do you recall of the I, fight? You've called it a shit a shit night for you since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of how it finished, people said people said people from my, my village. I, I come from a small village. There's only maybe six, three thousand people from the given. And some people tell me still that was the best end of their life. And I take a lot of pride in that because you know people telling you that you've done something as big as that, and I give them so much pride. But for me personally, I was there to do a job, and I wanted to be a world champion. Uh, and it was an opportunity that I felt I knew that I could I could I could win basically even though even though and the big picture I was probably a massive underdog. But American has he's got fast hands, he's got decent movement, but he's not a great boxer. He's not he's not a technical boxer. He uses his hand speed as his number one tool basically. So if I could have negated that there, which I did do, then I had a chance. And then I also knew I had a very good engine. I I, I I was always dangerous down the stretch, and I always, I always knew Yamir was probably in the second half of fights faded a lot. So I knew I, had a, I felt I had a good chance of doing something later on if I could get by the first forty-five rounds without, you know, giving up too many, too many rounds. And even though I was behind in the scorecards, he he never landed any shots on me. He, he threw a lot of punches and he landed very little shots, so he never hurt me. And I actually felt he was tired. So personally I feel that he may have underestimated me I know I know he knew who I was but I, I think he underestimated me just having maybe Fred Rose thought as a matter doing a camp come over here two rounds we'll take it we'll get rid of this area's guy and then we'll move on so I felt that they underestimated me and I knew I knew at that time that there was working to plan but the most frustrating thing about the whole thing was the fact that the cut wasn't even that bad if the cut was bad you could have accepted it but the fact it wasn't bad was a harder pill to swallow you know no, yeah. if they had said to me, if I, if I needed maybe 12, 15 stitches, I got three stitches or four stitches after that there. 
and the cut. Uh, I tell you what, it was we Benny as uh, Benny King was my my cuts man. He goes, "You've been screwed here, son." I said, "What do mm-hmm. you mean?" He said, "Stop." He said, "Stop bleeding already." He said, "They've screwed yeah. you here." So no, and I know like, like you're, you're an arena with twenty thousand there. I probably I had about six or eight thousand there, you know, supporting me, which was uh, you know and another good thing for me coming out coming out to fight Americana Manchester. I could hear my support, which was amazing. No, if I had to come out there and twenty thousand people booing me to the ring, you'd probably felt the size of a peanut, you know. So all you could hear that night was the sound of your—they called it the Duty Army or whatever, McCluskey <laughs> Army. Yeah. And then you could hear Cannes fans; they had these kind of pipes, which they were yeah. it just—it sounded like a, a football match in South America, yeah. just. Brum, 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 brum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, you had massive support, and I've never really seen an Irish—I hadn't really seen up to that point—a traveling Irish support like that in England. Uh, certainly yeah. not for. But. Um, the doctor getting into the ring, like, does it still live with you? That, that guy getting yeah. in, going over to Lewis Pavon. It's we it was, we 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 put all our complaints on the with the WBA, uh, but we knew we knew it was going to fall on deaf ear, deaf ears, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, they just there was, it was never it was never mentioned again, basically, you know. And that's the way the that's the way the boxing and all massive sporting business go. With it. once it's over, it's forgot about. They just wanted to get me out of the way, basically, as quickly as they could. Uh, they never offered me a rematch. I mean, at the post-fight press conference, uh, Amir Khan was saying, "Beat all the guys that I beat." And then we couldn't have a rematch. And Eddie Hearn goes, "No, Amir, we'll go one better. We'll beat the, we'll beat the guy knocked out in, in, in one round, basically." And then he, he came, yeah. you know, he, he was kind of stuck for words at that stage. Yeah. But then, to be fair, now the Prescott fight was probably the hardest fight of my life at that stage because he could punch. He actually could punch. Now he could, Jesus, he got that hard. It was my fitness and my, and my heart, basically, you know. I think I got into a bit of a row with Khan myself at the press conference. I asked, I said to him at the top table, I said, I don't think, he, I said, would you do, a, would you do a, a rematch with Paul? Only I don't think you do unfinished business. And when you when you talk about Prescott, and he <laughs> he he said something like, yeah, what would you know? You're only a young flower or something. Yeah. something. I like, I'm older than you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got that. You got that fight with Prescott, and inside a few months, you're headlining at the Odyssey Arena. Uh, and it's a world title eliminator, four cans, four cans belt. Yeah. And I guess going into the fight, we didn't really know what to expect. And it turned in. Did, what were you thinking after two minutes when you're on the floor? We 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 had a we had an idea. Prescott was like your typical South American. They depend on their. Uh, well, he was a big puncher as well. So I can't I can't, I can't label them all this way. But to me, he was the kind of guy. He was there for four or five rounds. If he doesn't knock you out, you've always a chance. So, and I, ideally, I, I didn't plan the start that I had, basically. You know, my plan was to get him box the lugs off him for Kevin. I still done a good job on him, basically. And my plan was to do the same on him, just box the lugs off him for, 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 for 10 or 12 rounds, you know. Uh, actually, it was 12-round contest, so I was 12 rounds, basically. Mm. So, but the way the first round went, he, he caught me, and, he, and he, he didn't hurt me, but it was wobbled, if you know what I'm saying. So, like, like after the the for, after the first round, I'm, I'm, I'm 10 years down. I had a terrible second round, and I had a shit third round. So after three rounds and four and four rounds down, basically, uh, the boxing wasn't working for me at that stage. So I basically I said to myself, I have to just stand here and fight, basically. And one thing stood by me was my fitness and my strength. That that night we we, we had a long hard camp for that fight, and it stood by me massively because if I hadn't been as fit and strong as I was, I'd have been I'd have been probably knocked out in seven eight rounds. Yeah. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Eric, what does that say about a boxer to be four rounds down after three after three rounds? You're four points down, and you have to abandon your actual game plan and do do something different. Like, how daunting is it? Very daunting. You know, that's when it, there comes a stage in a boxer's fight or career or whatever where, like, you have to draw on something different than what you've learned in the gym and that's kind of your character, your resilience, what you're made of. You know, you go back to whatever resources you can pull from inside and you have to try and bite down on that gum shield and just go to war. Like as Paul said, the fight was slipping away from him. Everything that he could do really, really well was not, was failing him, was failing him. Like, so all of his boxing skills, all of his, his slick, uh, you know, technical ability just was no good to him in this regard. So you had to kind of get down into a street fight with the guy. And and then, you know, you're just putting your, your life into the, the hands of the gods then when you do that because mm. boxing, and you know, like in my last fight for six rounds, seven, six rounds, six and a half rounds, I was coaxing. And I, when I was coming back to the corner, this is a little bit kind of, not too dissimilar to Paul's because I was in the driving seat with mine. Yeah, you were flying. And, um, and I, was sitting on the, I was sitting on the stool and I was supremely confident with what my skills were doing for me and what my ability was doing for me. And I just said, a couple of more rounds now and I'm going to be the champ. And then later on, I find myself on the canvas. And then I'm thinking, right, I have to get down now and go to war. And at that point in my in my fight, that was probably the wrong thing to do. I should have just accepted mm. that I got knocked down, brush it away, and get back to my boxing. Uh, you know, give a round away or something like that. Go on your back foot or whatever. So, but for me, it was a learning experience like that. I just have to, I just had to learn on the job. But for Pauls, he knew there was nothing. He was not going to get anything out of this fight unless he actually went toe to toe with the guy. And then 
my God, you talk about giving the fans something to talk about for years and years to come. You know, it's I never seen you, Paul. I've never seen you in all the years that I've seen you box like that. But you had yeah. to, and that shows you that the man is made of tough stuff, and that's what warriors do. And he's a warrior. To be fair, where I got where I got uh, everything for that fight was basically in the gym. Brings gym, as you know yourself, Kevin. Brings gym. The 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 heat. And the sparring station that we have up there, uh, that, that's that's where I survived that fight. We we, we had a long camp for that fight. I had all I had, I had sparring partners on basically, and we were ready for that. We were ready for whatever came at night basically. Uh, the plan was to get a box, as I said earlier on. The plan was to get a box the lugs off them. But sometimes, sometimes you have to. You have, that's one thing I learned over the years. You, you sometimes you have to just uh, change mud fight. And that's what I had to do basically. When I went, well, not mid fight, early fight. I was down the first round after three rounds and four rounds down basically. So I had to just change my whole plan of action completely and just go against what I normally do best, and that's box. Yeah. And I had to just dig deep and have a war basically, you know. And uh, looking back, uh, I'm glad I was able to do it. But again, you don't you don't you don't need too many fights to get in your career because they're tough, tough fights to come come yeah. back. Big time. I, I introduced you at the start both as two intelligent southpaws, uh, slick intelligent southpaws, and I don't want to blow too much smoke, but that's, you know, I think it, when you're both long retired, that's how you'll be referred to in future as well. How difficult is it to think on the spot and, you know, because you see in most field sports, people can change their game plans, the coach can tell them to do something different, but how difficult is it to think and to get your bearings when you're being punched in the head really hard? I mean, just for the layperson who doesn't box, who doesn't get hit, how difficult is it to really know where you are? Like, the place is roasting hot, the, the lights from TV are shining down upon you, your fans are in the crowd, your your hopes, dreams and fears are all in the next three minutes. How difficult is it to, to adapt, to change? Uh, well, for me, can uh, I speak for myself? Basically, you've you've done a, maybe a fourteen week camp, so the works the works all there. Uh, you know how to box, you know how to fight. Obviously, you try to you try to you try to be the boxer all the time. Well, I do I do obviously, but when things happen, you have to just either either you have to, you adapt or adjust quickly, or something's going to go wrong. And when you get when you keep getting hit by certain punches, you decide to go the other way. Basically, you know. So for me, it was just a matter of thinking differently. Which wasn't easy because I'm not used to standing and having a fight, basically. So I had to think differently, but also go forward and have a scrap with them at the same mm. time. It's not easy to change your mind mid fight. When you've done a 14 week camp and all you're thinking about doing is boxing, 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 and then you have to start going and doing the complete opposite of what you've been doing for 14 weeks, it's not easy doing that. But again, you yeah. have to. It's, it's hard one to say what why you've done or what. You just know how to do it because you know you've done it for so many years. It's just years and years of hard, hard work, you know. Yeah, I think if you have to try and, it's not something that you stop and think of in the ring. It's kind of like, it's just, it's kind of ingrained in you. It's conditioned inside you that you don't just suddenly go, oh, let me have a think about it this way or let me have a think about it that. You don't have that time. You just no. everything is happening so so fast. But if you can try and keep a calm mind in it all, like sometimes when you're coming under the cosh and there's an opponent that's beating you down, just beating you down, beating you down, if you can try and stay calm, normally when you panic in those situations, you just become easy pickings for your opponent. And there was many times in my career where I would have panicked and did silly things and did, you know, premature things like, you know, lunging in or falling in or trying to just you know, reach for the fight instead of just 
staying composed and, you know, waiting for my opportunity. So I would think that, you know, the most important thing in, in any fight is to stay composed. If you have a bad round, just put it down as a bad round and don't try and say, okay, I need to, you know, I, I need to get that back or whatever, you know. Normally the best boxers, if you watch the best boxers in the world, they look like they're playing. They look like they're out having, enjoying themselves. <coughs> In, in like yeah. in the park or wherever it is, they just look like they're in their flow. If you look at the mm. best athletes and look at Roger Federer and he's playing tennis, he, man just looks like he's just he's in his flow. You know, you look at Terence Crawford, you look at yeah. Golovkin, look at May, Mayweather. These guys were just had a flow to them. You know, it doesn't look, it does not look like they're under stress. It does not look like they're in bother. They're just enjoying it. They're flowing. You know, and I think. If you can get a boxer into that into that frame of mind, that 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 much composure, and they know they have it in their locker, then uh, by way of training camp, and Paul talks about fourteen weeks, twelve weeks, whatever it is, they have it all in their locker. Stay com- calm, stay composed, and then deliver. Not many people can do it. No, no. Eric, if I was to read off a list to you here, um, I want you to find something that connects these people. I'll, I'll mention to you now. So, Kenneth Egan. Andy Lee, Brian McGee, Lomachenko, Michael Moorer, Marvin Hagler, I think Manny Pacquiao also, and Paul McCluskey. What links them? Right-handed southpaws. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I knew I'd answer myself now. Are you not a right-handed southpaw? No, no, I'm a kid though, left-handed, left-handed. I know, I know, and I knew Andy wasn't a kid. I thought maybe you were as well, but okay, okay. So. Yeah. How does it go? How does it go that way, Paul? And what does it offer to you? I know in your fight, I was rewatching your fight with um, with Can and Emmanuel Stewart was also mentioning, you know, Hagler and stuff. Yeah. Stewart was really impressed by your performance. I think he kept saying how. You know, McCluskey's so relaxed. You know, speaking to the thing that Eric mentioned a minute ago about Roger Federer, you know, hitting tennis balls in his garden, he kept saying, you know, he's not getting hit with any solid punches. And, you know, this is going to be, he said at the start he knew it would be a more competitive fight than some people had placed it. And then he just was commenting throughout how you were just a relaxed right-handed southpaw doing your thing. Yeah, yeah. I say the the plan was... we, I, I had a vision in my head basically that they were that they would underestimate me basically. So, which he did do, I feel. Uh, so up until that stage, he threw a lot of punches, and he was tired. Now I was just calm, relaxed, moving about. And the, in hindsight, I would love to. I would love to. I wish I had started maybe to go for the kill a bit earlier. But mm-hmm. as John said to me at, at the end of every round, John says, "Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great here." Because we knew he would obviously tire eventually, and he was getting tired at that stage. So I was just staying calm, waiting for him to make as many mistakes as he could. Even though he's making mistakes, I wasn't punishing him, but he was still tiring out, basically, you know. So I was thinking, if if I can keep doing this here a few more rounds, and I may I may have a chance to do something here. Uh, I didn't land many shots on him, but I do know if I landed one on him, I could have done something at some stage. So I felt I felt I felt happy with the way things were going, but I obviously knew I was getting beat at that stage, you know. Yeah. So even if I was ahead at that stage, I probably wouldn't have got it. If you know what I'm saying. So the, my my looking back on now, I knew if I went the distance, I was never. Even if I had won the fight fair and square, I was never going to get it. I knew I had to take that. I had to win by by by, uh, by KO or by by stoppage. If the fight went 12 rounds and I was the best boxer, I was never going to get that because he was the the golden boy, if you want to call it there that there. So we had to we had to get the the result by uh, a KO or something. 
Yeah, well, you, you had five uh, stoppages in a row to your name at the time, so no wonder you went in with such confidence. Um, how are you doing? What are you up to these days, uh, Paul? Uh, I'm just working on the family business, basically. Uh, Eurospar, uh, McNichol Eurospar, it's Francie's shop, basically. Uh, me, Emma Cahill, and his fiancée, Rachel, we're, we have a restaurant open in town as well called Sulky's, you know, so uh, I'm quite busy. I've got four four sons as well, uh, Key and Oren, Garrett and Lewin, uh, so we're quite busy now, he's Keen 16, uh, Oren's 11, Garrett's 8, and the baby's just two past there, so uh, my hands are quite full, but uh, I'm happy at the moment, you know, it took me a couple of years to, when it all finishes now, it's, it's you can prepare for the end of your career, but until it finishes, it's, it's one of them things you have to just deal with when it's over, you know, and uh, the important thing for anybody is to have a, I always, I, I would predict now to anybody, I would say, have a, have, a, have, a, have a plan B as well. Just don't have all your eggs in one basket. Always think of another career or some other place to go because we all have these uh, fascinations or these hopefulness that, we'll, that when we retire we'll be, we'll be wealthy beyond means and we won't have to work again. But no, that's not, the way, that's not the way life works, basically. You should have a plan B and just for your own, for your own mind and for your own uh, self-awareness, you should, have, you, should have, you should have something else to do after boxing or any other career, basically. So I think there's a purpose for work, isn't there? Like, you know, when people have these dreams and fascinations to, you know, become multimillionaires and, as you said, never work again. But, like, there is no life in that, is there? There's yeah. something special. Like, we all have a need and there's a purpose for work and to get out there. Yeah, I you're right, wonder, Eric. I wonder, do you miss boxing uh, or, or have you been involved in any way as a coach or do, have you any plans or intentions to get involved? Or are you just, is it just a that's a, that's a good question. I've took a, I've, personally, as I said here today, I've took a complete break. Will I get back into boxing again? Personally, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can now because I've been away for a while and it was my life at that stage. I boxed in age of six and I'm just, you know, up till, up till 35 or thereabouts, you know. So it was my whole life at that stage and to do something that long mm. and just leave and then get back into it. I've got a young family now as well, so, I, 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 I couldn't be, I couldn't be a coach or anything else without giving it one hundred percent. And as my, am I, with, with that there comes sacrifice, and with that sacrifice, I probably my family would be sacrificed. If you know what I'm saying, no, yeah. not sacrifice, but my family would be maybe pushed to the side a bit. So I'm not prepared to do that. I'm, I'm willing not never to do that again. So for me, I have a good feeling I'll never be in the game. I, I'll, I'll, I'm a fan, but I don't think I'll ever ever be involved again personally. So yeah, unfortunately. Have you any advice for uh, Eric for next year? If if Eric wants to make the breakthrough, become European champion as you became, uh, what should he do? Well, I think he's done the right thing, moving to a professional gym, basically, uh, with with other fighters, obviously like-minded fighters. For him now, it's just waiting for opportunities. When when uh, I'm sure you're, you're you're in touch with Eddie Hearn right, regularly, I'm sure. If you be be ready now, that that fight, the fight with Barrett was a, was a, was a brilliant fight for you. In a sense, obviously the result didn't work the way, yeah. but you showed that you you showed that you were at that level basically. He, yeah. like to me, are, are you are you going to are you going to go back to featherweight? Yeah. 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 He was he, he was bigger than you. He looked he looked he looked a weight of division above you basically. If you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. if you go to featherweight now, get a couple of fights. No. Uh, ranking fights basically and then go for another shot as soon as because at your age I had two fights and I go straight in for another opportunity again yeah what do you think yeah no absolutely great advice like, we're hoping to just get it because my last fight is a loss we need to get back to winning ways we yeah. just need to get a routine fight yeah. maybe a six rounder get a win and then hopefully get in against one of those uh, ranked featherweights that Eddie Hearn has Jordan Gill Reese Bellotti one of them guys and 
hopefully then you know get in be, be in touch for a crack at a European title featherweight title so that would be a dream come true for me like for me now I think two two to three fights and you want to be fighting after two or three fights you want to be in, in line to fight for the title then and then it's up to you, obviously Maxim or whoever to, to get to that opportunity basically but once you get the two fights or three fights and you beat the and you get the, get the victory then you should be in line to fight basically yeah well lads I think um on that note, I think we will uh, we'll leave it for the day. We've taken up more than enough of your time, and uh, it's been brilliant. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. It was great. No problem. It's been a long time since I spoke about boxing, so I don't mind. Uh, so no, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.